Welcome to Flunking the Written, a fully spoiled Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast in which two Uber fans break down every episode of the show. Join Kimberly and Megan every Tuesday as they overanalyze each scene and discuss the Buffyverse at large. Now let's meet up with the Scoobies and get into this week's episode of Flunking the Written. What can I say? I flunked the Written. Kim, we are at Passion, written by Ty King, and then I have in parentheses Joss Whedon, because I'm sure he had a lot of influence on the script, uh, and directed by the late Michael E. Gershman. Uh, this was his mm-hmm. first episode to direct. He, of course, is the uh, cinematographer and like has a lot of influence on the look and feel of Buffy, but this was his first episode to direct, and he's directed several throughout the run of the series, including seeing Red. So this is the man that's responsible for the horrible bathroom scene and how that looks and feels and everything about oh. that. <laughs> okay. So he's good on those emotional beats because he has another magnificent scene in this episode as well. The yeah. blurb is Angel steps up his torment of Buffy and her friends, even as Ginny Callender searches for a way to restore his soul. Well, it doesn't it doesn't give out the twist of what happens. Uh-huh. It seems like the blurbs are getting better. They just not, might be. Not giving out as much information as they used to in season <laughs> one. Maybe somebody different started writing them. Maybe. Maybe we got someone who's just like, oh, maybe we shouldn't spoil the fact that this character's a vampire in the blurb for the episode. Uh, so we start at the bronze with a song, Never an Easy Way, by Morchiba. I'm going to say that's pronounced that way. Mm-hmm. And Buffy and Xander are dancing while Willow and Cordy are talking at a table behind them. And we hear voiceover angel. <laughs> Yes, and I will go and point out a lot of what Angel says in the episode is not what his voiceover is supposed to be saying. Yes. It's very different. Um, I actually did a little bit of research because I wanted to look at the the speech all in one chunk, basically, mm -hmm. because it's split up in the episode. So I wanted to look at it all as one thing. And I found somebody who, like, what they did was they took parts of what's in the actual show and parts of what's in the script and perhaps some other versions that exist along the way and compile them all into one long piece, which I have at the very end of my notes. And I may read it out when we get to the end of the episode, depending on how long we yabber on in this one. But, uh, yeah, it, it is definitely like, I think the first true sign of that this episode was heavily edited and kind of adjusted that Joss Whedon influence that I, I predicted. Yeah, there's there's a um, there's a couple of things that aren't in the episode, but not a whole lot. Yeah, I just wonder if like the vibe. I don't know. Like that's what I'll say about this song is like I I like to look at the lyrics, and the lyrics are serviceable. There's nothing that I can really pull out and apply directly to the story at hand. But the vibe of this song and the vibe of this episode, I think, like you, it feels different. You know, when you get to a certain episodes and they have like a very different mm-hmm. tone opening up. It's not just Buffy yes. fighting in the cemetery, quipping with a vampire. This this feels like a standout episode from the very beginning because they were presenting a very different style right right yes. out the gate. 
Very much. <laughs> I wrote that Angel is doing his best uh, Spike impersonation as he's circling the bronze and watching Buffy dance. <laughs> yes, yes. A uh, little stalkerish. Um, and then he keeps talking as Buffy and Xander and Willow and Cordelia leave the bronze. I don't have a whole lot in my notes in this scene as they're walking home. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that I was wondering where Oz is. <laughs> it feels like I should be with them. And also that Buffy is not very good at honing her with her players <laughs> in the scene or in the next scene. I just wrote it as like they literally rock right by Angel as he's feeding. Like they're within a couple of feet of him. <laughs> well, like he's all beside her. He follows her. I mean, she walks past him more than once. And then in the next scene, he's like outside her bedroom window. <laughs> And, like, isn't she supposed to be able to sense vampires? Uh, um, so it's kind of it's kind of strange that, yeah, he's that close to her and she has no idea for a really long time. Mm-hmm. That happens. Um, and then the next scene, she, she's in her bedroom and she's changing into pajamas and she's uh, turning off the bedside lamp. And, well, she goes to look out the window first. That's mm-hmm. not in the script book. She goes to look out the window and she's looking around and doesn't see... Angel, who is out there, and she goes back to turn off the lamp and lay down, and hes you can see him watching her through the window, which is a very, like, horror movie type scene. Oh, yeah. When you, you kind of see him there, it's creepy. Yeah, there uh, is nothing creepier to me than the idea of someone watching me as I sleep. That is a, a level of stalker that is the most terrifying to me, just watching me as I sleep. <laughs> Drawing a I'm, picture and leaving it for me as I sleep is even worse. <laughs> looking out a open window, like that's not covered in blinds or a curtain or something, and seeing a face in the dark is one of those ideas that they use a lot in horror movies that just creeps me out yeah it's terrifying to me like i don't even like to look at windows when it's dark (laughs) outside and it's like not covered it just i'm like ah yeah so then we go to buffy asleep in her bed and we kind of go very slowly up to her face and see a hand (laughs) move hair off her face (laughs) and it's angel and he is very close looking at her yeah and then we do the theme song I love the Buffy theme song, but there are certain times where the theme song is very jarring. <laughs> yeah. So it pans across Buffy's bed. I I froze several times and tried to look. I can't I can't see any stuffed animal that I can one hundred percent sure identify as Mr. Gordo, but I did mm-hmm. I did look. Um <laughs> Buffy wakes up and finds a picture of herself. Uh, this is this is uh, the first time we realize that Angel has some talent. <laughs> he does. He's a talented artist. And the the picture is on parchment type paper in a parchment envelope, which is important later because I'm going to talk about that. <laughs> and she picks it up. And in the script book, it says she's supposed to be real nervous with her heart beating fast looking at the envelope. I don't really see that in the episode, though. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of like, what's this? <laughs> and she opens it up, and it is a very beautiful, accurate sketch of her sleeping. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the library where she is telling Giles about how Angel was in her room last night. Um, Xander and Cordelia are there, and they kind of like, are you sure? And then talk about how I thought vampires couldn't come in unless you invited them. Giles informs them 
that that's true. But once you invite them, they can always come in. Mm-hmm. And Xander makes a very dull joke about girls inviting strange men into their rooms. Yeah. <laughs> Cordelia freaks out a little bit about she invited him into her car, although I don't think that it works that way for cars. I no. think he can just get into a car. This is this is a running joke that doesn't entirely work, but there's parts of it that I enjoy. Mostly something that happens later on that when you think about it is just amusing to me. But yeah, Cordelia's like worry about the fact that Angel's invited into her car. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think you have to be invited into the car. No! Um. <laughs> it's not, in fact, a house. And uh, Giles says that he'll find some Now here's a question, though. (laughs) Oh, If you live in your car, (laughs) like like Kane, Kane living in his van, would you have to have an invite to go into his van as a vampire? There you go. But I know you don't have to have an invite to go into a hotel. Yeah. So I think it has to be like an actual house. Oh, some food for thought. (laughs) I read a, uh, I don't remember what it was, but I read a vampire book series once where they couldn't go in without an invitation if it was a home mm-hmm. like regular houses you could go into but it had to be like a happy home with a happy family and happy home life to not be able to go in oh like if the people who live there were miserable or the kids were being abused or if it was just like a single person that lived there or whatever you could go you could go in it had to be like a happy family home thing too. Oh. <laughs> yeah I thought that was a, that was an interesting take on it in those books because normally it's always the exact same thing. They can't go in and they they like altered it a little bit for that series. I can't remember what it was called. I'll have to look it up. Oh man. Okay. Um. So anyway, okay, as, back to this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, as they're talking, Buffy's like, "Is there some sort of spell that we can reverse the invitation with?" And Giles is all, "Yeah, I'll check my." And then all of a sudden, holy crap! There's students that are using the library. What is this? So, <laughs> and one of them's Jonathan. <laughs> but they come in, and Xander kind of g- like snaps at him. Have you ever heard of knocking? And uh, Giles has to remind him that it is the library. Um, <laughs> Since when? <laughs> Yeah, and they say they're here to get some books for a report on Stalin, and Giles tells them where to go, and then they just all kind of look at each other and go out in the hall. Yeah, they're like, Um, we don't know what to do. (laughs) In the script, they talk to each other in pig Latin for a couple of lines and then go out in the hall, so, uh, yeah. Um, That thing would only work if, like, Xander and Buffy talked in pig Latin and Giles spoke in actual Latin. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> That's how I would accept that scene. <laughs> well, Giles doesn't say anything, so. <laughs> they leave, and then the student comes back. It's Jonathan. I don't know why I'm calling him the student. Jonathan <laughs> comes back and is wants to ask him, where did you say that was? And everyone's gone. It's kind of funny. So the next scene, they're just kind of walking down the hallway talking to each other. Yeah, which and, is not uh, any more private. <laughs> no, not at all. Giles mentions that, you know, Angel is starting to harass Buffy more and Cordelia very bluntly wants to know why he doesn't just kill her or strangle her or cut out her heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? I'm trying to help. Yes. Uh, look, it's, it's, it's classic battle strategy to throw one's opponent off his game. He's just trying to provoke you. To taunt you, to, to goad you into uh, some mishap of some sort. The na-na-na-na-na-na approach to battle. Yes, Sandra, once more, you've managed to boil a complex thought down to its simplest possible form. They get worried about Buffy's mom because Buffy's not always there to protect her. 
and Giles is going to look, says here, I'm going to look for a spell. And uh-huh. uh, Cordelia mentions that until then, Buffy and her mom are more than welcome to ride around in Cordelia's car with her, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> She's very concerned about her car and like, it's not an issue. Everybody <laughs> just ignores it. <laughs> That's my because favorite. Everybody, everybody knows it's not an issue. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It, it bothers me on some level because I know Cordelia is smarter than this, but if you're going to have her be the butt of the joke, I at least enjoy this joke because of everybody else's just... Ignoring it. Ignoring it. Just flat out moving on from it at all times. <laughs> then, you know, Giles is just kind of, you can't get upset. You have to stay calm. You have to be zen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Buffy says, I have to ignore him then. They're like, yeah. So, and then they end up at Miss Callender's classroom. Yes. She is um, dismissing the class. And you'll note that um, she specifically requests a printout paper copy and a copy on disc, which is important. Uh, Yes. Yes. (laughs) I feel like the true message of this episode is remember your backups, people. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She asks Willow to uh, teach the class for her the next day because she is probably going to be in late and... Uh, Buffy and... What school system is this allowed? Like, to ask the... A student to cover your class for you and to get there. Aren't you supposed to, like, tell the principal so they can get a substitute? You know? Like, do you even just decide that yourself? See, this supports the theory that they're all actually college students just pretending to be high school students. Because I've had this happen to me before. Where I've showed up to a college classroom and a teacher... Well, a teacher actually got a assistant, like a TA, to come in. But the TA was just like, Megan's supposed to teach the class today. And the teacher never talked to me about this. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Did you do it? Yeah. I I was apparently Willow. Who knew? Um... (laughs) That's why I relate to her so much. But anyway, Buffy asks if Willow can take her to class. Um, Oh, wait, no, there's an important part here that I had a note on. I got to back up real quick. This is important. Uh, Willow immediately shifts when she realizes the power that she may have access to, right? Because she's like really nervous at first. She's just like, what if they don't recognize my authority? What if they convince me that you always let them leave early? What if there's a fire trail? What if there's a fire? And she's like, you're going to be fine, Willow. Don't worry about it. I'm not, I'm not going to be that late. But then like Willow has this shift and she's like, well, I have the power to assign detention. <laughs> Can I make them like run laps? I'm just like, woo, Willow. <laughs> yeah, you went from zero to you're 60 show, real you're quick. That power hunger real early. <laughs> then Buffy and Giles enter, and Buffy asks Willow to walk her to class, and Willow has this lovely bit of rambling talk as they leave. Sorry, I have to talk to her. She's a teacher, and teachers are to be respected, even if they're only filling in until the real teacher shows up, because otherwise chaos could ensue. They have a very awkward scene between Giles and Jenny mm-hmm. where she get, ends up giving him a book that has a spell to disinvite a vampire from the house. And she asks how Buffy's doing and Giles kind of gets a little bit mad. What do you think? Mm-hmm. There's a really good exchange about betrayal here. Yeah. But he says, Rupert, I know you feel betrayed. And Giles says, yes, that's one of the unpleasant side effects of betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote harsh but accurate. <laughs> Um, And Jenny explains, you know, how she was raised um, and taught and everything. And then basically says she loves him. Mm -hmm. 
and then tries wants to take it back and he's like do you want to take it back she's like she wants to make everything right and Giles just says I'm not the one you got to make it up to and leave (laughs) I wrote dad of the year (laughs) (laughs) yes and then there is a scene with Buffy and her mom having dinner Mm -hmm. (laughs) she tells her mom about Angel that he's different and he's being having trouble letting go and to like not talk to him or invite him in the house or anything if she sees him. Yeah. Which I actually, when I watch this scene, I always think Buffy should make this sound a little more serious. Because like, kill. And she's just kind of like, yeah, I don't like this guy anymore. Mm -hmm. She seems to be like, she's trying to like thread that needle. Right. Of being like, I don't want her to be on too high high alert, but, you know, I want her to be aware and stuff like that. She's really trying to find that balance of what she can say <laughs> without causing Joyce to freak out too much. But yeah. my concern is that Joyce just had a, a situation where she was in a incredibly toxic relationship and stalked and threatened and all of this stuff with Ted, right? So, right. like... Wouldn't she remember that recent trauma and be, like, extra careful with Buffy, even if Buffy's trying to underplay the severity of the situation? <laughs> but we all know this is Sunnydale, and she might not remember that. Yeah. She remembered Angel. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but not uh, her own recent trauma about being stalked. <laughs> well, in the script book, she actually goes a little further, and she tells her, when uh, Joyce asks if he hurt her, she says, no, I'm just a little afraid of him. And Joyce kind of gets upset. Like he has hurt you because you're afraid and says, I'm calling the police. What's his last name? And mm-hmm. uh, she takes it a little more seriously. And uh, Buffy has, you know, talk her out of it, which I understand because like she couldn't let her mom call the police. Yeah. So she did have to like, you know, walk it back a little bit. But then there's this part where Buffy says, you know, if you see him when I'm not around, be really careful. I'll take care of it if I'm here. And Joyce says, what if you're not around? And Buffy says, well, whatever you do, just don't invite him in. And that's the end of that scene <laughs> uh, with the parts that, you know, they tell. But as far as I'm concerned, we get some big clues here. Mm-hmm. Like this conversation between Buffy and Joyce is Joyce is like admitting that her daughter can take care of her. In a situation like this. She knows it. Yeah. Subconsciously. And then Buffy flat out says, don't invite him in. And I'm like, come on, Joyce. She should not be so surprised when she actually does find out later. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I love one of my favorite parts of Becoming Part 2 is when Buffy calls Joyce out on her denial. And it's just like, how have you not put this together yet? But I think you're right. I think subconsciously Joyce has. And that's why she is accepting of certain things that we feel like she shouldn't be accepting of or not playing the mom as much as we think she should in certain scenarios because Mm -hmm. subconsciously she realizes that Buffy's life is more complicated and she is very capable and something's going on that she just hasn't really fully realized yet but she's also in denial about that. So it's it's very uneven. Joyce is very uneven and it's mostly just because they don't they don't really have a plan for Joyce. They don't have a consistent arc for Joyce in these early seasons. She's just there to develop conflict and 
cause Buffy an, a, a different obstacle to face than just vampires. But mm-hmm. I, I think that's like the line that really stood out to me that you were talking about was the, you know, if I'm around, I'll take care of it kind of deal. And, and Joyce just accepting that as fact. Yeah. And I saying, mean, what if you're not around? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do like, I do if I don't do have I do you here to protect here? me? Yeah. <laughs> and that was cut out along with the part about the police, but... And how fast Buffy was able to convince her that calling the police wasn't the solution. Mm -hmm. I know those parts were cut out, but they still say a lot about Joyce as a character, you know. Yeah. Now, the part where Buffy says, well, whatever you do, don't invite him in. That's also a big clue. And Joyce doesn't uh, catch on. And that wasn't cut out. So. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of these early season things fall apart when you go to... some of the things you learn later in the series about how Buffy reacted to being a slayer and things like that. Again, we have that hard line of retcon when Dawn comes in. So you can kind of just realize that Buffy exists in two universes and we watch the first four seasons and then the universe completely changes. And it's very possible that everything that we know to be true in these first four seasons is in fact different than what we witnessed because the entire universe changed when they brought in Dawn. So there's a lot of things you can play with and mess with to retcon it. But there Yeah, are... because in this, in this episode, it could have been that Angel was after Dawn. Yeah. Instead of Buffy and Joyce, you know? Yeah. It's crazy to think about just how different all of this could be. Like, yeah, you get little get hints. really complicated. Yeah, you get little hints. I'm, I'm really excited to when we start getting stuff like that after watching all of this and analyzing it so deeply and, like, refreshing my memory so vividly of these first four seasons. And then we get to Dawn. I'm really excited to, like, start dissecting that and being like, what did they change? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Willow is uh, in her room talking to Buffy on the phone, kind of just saying, don't let Angel get to you. Giles is right. Um, Willow has a moment where she sw- says, I swear men can be such jerks sometimes, dead or alive, which I feel like is the only indication in this entire episode that she's still reeling a little bit from last week's episode. But other than that, it's it's pretty much just swept under the rug and you, you never yeah, it's get over. that closure. Um, but anyway, she's just like, I just hope Giles can find the keep out spell soon. And uh, as she's kind of talking about it, she goes to feed her fish. Uh, and you can, if you're observing, you can see that there's no fish in that tank. And she sees a letter on her bed, which I just have in my notes. When was that left there? <laughs> yeah. Where she just now found it. Yeah. <laughs> and it is, again, a parchment envelope. So, very fancy parchment envelope, Mm -hmm. which when I was really into this show in college, I got all excited about parchment paper and parchment envelopes after this episode and ordered a bunch (laughs) of them. Like, I was going to start writing letters to people on parchment, you know. I thought I was. Never actually did, but, you know, I had it. I had the paper and the envelopes. (laughs) Willow opens the envelope and pulls out... I can't really tell what it is in the episode. The script book says it's a gold chain. Okay. So, like, he's threaded them onto a necklace for Oh. Her on a gold chain. Yeah. So, she pulls this out, and it is her tropical fish from her aquarium <laughs> who are dead and threaded onto this necklace that Angel has lovingly made for her to wear. You know, you gotta love a man who does arts and crafts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially makes you jewelry. I mean, it's just... 
He's so sensitive, right? So um, we immediately cut to Buffy's room, and Buffy and Willow are huddled on Buffy's bed. And Willow's like, thanks for having me over, Buffy, especially on a school night and all. Yeah. Aw, sweet Willow. Yeah, and Buffy, you know, apologizes about the fish, and Willow says she just got, got them and hadn't really had time to bond yet. <laughs> In the script book, she says she had just got them for Hanukkah. Oh. Yeah, and they, they take that out and just say, they hadn't had time to bond yet, but apparently they were a Hanukkah present. And Buffy mentions that, you know, every time something bad like this happens, my first instinct is to run and tell Angel. can't believe it's the same person. He's completely different from the guy that I knew. Well, sort of. Except... Except what? You're still the only thing he thinks about. Which is very true and very scary. Yes! When you think about it in terms of he was like an actual person acting uh-huh. like this, that would be terrifying. Yeah. Well, you and know? it's it's interesting because Giles has that speech in the previous episode about the difference between love and obsession. And what Angel has for Buffy is love and what Angelus has for Buffy is obsession. But mm-hmm. she's still like the fixture, right? She's still everything to him, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a very different way of him treating her. Uh, but, like, she is still very much, like, the center of his world. Like, everything he oh, does yeah. in this episode is about Buffy, uh, really. I mean, he could have just killed Jenny and left it a day, but then he was just like, no, I can leave it as a present for Giles, which will go back to Buffy, because I know how much that means to her, and it's just like, he he does everything to go back to Buffy. It's Buffy he goes to watch the reaction of when she, like, that's the one he wants to watch when they re- realize what had happened. That's his, mm-hmm. that's his, uh, his focus. He doesn't watch Giles discover it. No, he goes and watches Buffy react. So he is so focused on her. And, um, yeah, it's not really comforting what Willow says. <laughs> nope. Not at all. So then we cut to the factory and I just wrote puppy. <laughs> yeah, a very cute puppy. <laughs> Drusilla has named Sunshine. Aw, Sunshine. <laughs> I really wish they had kept with this bit and just kept this puppy in for the rest of the season and Drew would just walk around with it. <laughs> Which would be cute. <laughs> and very Drew, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she tries to feed the puppy to Spike and Spike's all like, I'm not going to have you feed me like a child, Drew. And... So when Angel comes in and says, why not? She already bathes you, carries you around, and changes you like a child. <laughs> Tensions are rising. <laughs> Angel makes some references about things he may be doing to Drew, which, if you understand the full context of these relationships, is just how to get to Spike super fast. Um, but Spike snaps, saying that's enough, and shoves him back. And Drew is just delighted in all of this. <laughs> Because they're fighting over her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then she has one of her visions. um, And they both, like, immediately get concerned about her wanting to know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, what'd she see? Because, I mean, hers are so accurate. Yeah. And she basically says that an old enemy is going to destroy their happy home. Which, I mean, it's not exactly a happy home, (laughs) but okay. And by the way... It, it is Spike's bloody home. <laughs> he makes that yes. very clear. Yes. Well, yeah, no. 
So then we cut to a magic store. And it's the very first time we see a magic store in the series. Yes. Supposedly uh, called the Dragon's Cove. I found that on the wiki. I don't know where that comes from. I looked to see a name. I wasn't sure if that was in the script at all, but supposedly it called is. the Dragon's Cove. It's the Dragon's Cove Magic Store. Oh, I like that name. Yeah. The way it is described in the script book is supposed to be much more uh, creepy, dark, magic-y than it looks like. I yeah. really like this store, and I love the store owner. I think he's great. Oh, he's great. great. <laughs> Yeah, he's wonderful. I love him. His little pretending when she first comes in, uh-huh. and then he realizes she's actually a, someone who knows about paganism and magic and stuff. And he's like, oh, you're, you know, a real person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Welcome. How may I serve you today? Uh, love potion. Perhaps a voodoo doll for that unfaithful... I need an orb of Thessala. Oh, you're in a trade. Sorry about the spiel, but around Valentine's Day, I get a lot of tourists shopping for love potions and mystical revenge of past lovers. Sad fact is, Ouija boards and rabbit's feet, that's what pay the rent around here. He mentions that the spells and stuff that you use for the Orbit Thessala are lost Mm -hmm. like the translation of them and stuff are lost and she says oh i know i'm working on you know fixing that and uh he says he mentions it because he there are no returns yeah and she uh talks about how she's going to translate it and then conjure something and he wants to know what and she says a present for a friend of mine and he says oh yeah what are you going to give him and she says his soul and so now we finally know what she's going trying to do to help Angel. Yeah. And to make it right for Buffy. And I've always, always wondered what the rest of the show would have been like if, if, if at this point it worked. Yeah. And she managed to give his soul back. Yeah. Like, what would happen with him and Buffy and everybody? Yeah. Like, I mean, because obviously there's still consequences and stuff like that. But he hasn't gotten to the point where he's done something to somebody that the fans know right he hasn't he hasn't killed jenny yet he hasn't tortured giles yet so the recovery process would be a lot easier from this but there's still that threat of well we still can't be together because i'll just lose my soul again mm-hmm. but it doesn't have quite the same weight but yeah think i love happy buffy would have been yeah i know i love how proactive jenny is in all of this though like when she has the book earlier and gives it to Giles and saying, you know, I've been I've been working this, you know, she is even though like you have that conversation with Giles and like I'm not the one you need to make it up to, she really is even before then working on this pro like that's what she's doing and it's doing. Yeah. I mean it's shown beforehand because she asks Willow to cover her for her before she ever has that conversation with Giles. So it's not motivated by her feelings for Giles. It's motivated by she feels responsible and like she has the ability to do something to change Angel's fate right now. Well and like, while I think that she maybe should have told them um what she was there for, she couldn't have told them what would have happened. Yeah, she because she didn't have that information. And before it even happened, she didn't even know that the curse was so specific that it was if he had a moment of happiness, his soul would be taken away again. Like, she didn't even know that part. Nobody Mm -hmm. did. So she couldn't have prevented this even if she had told him. Yeah. She shouldn't feel guilty. It wasn't her fault. Right. But she Um, is. She is 
supercomputer lady who's working on translating all these old rituals to try to figure out how to recast this spell on Angel. I love the comment. It comes up again, but I love the comment that the Orb of Thessala is a spirit vault for the rituals of the undead. Don't get many calls for those lately. Sold a couple as New Age paperweights last year. (laughs) He's just a great businessman. I mean, just, he knows how, he knows how to sell stuff. You know, his whole bit about Ouija boards and rabbit's feet, that's what pays the rent around here. He understands the market, and I love him. I mean, honestly, if she can't translate the stuff and return Angel's soul, she could always use it as a paperweight. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's just, he's letting her know. He's just like, you know, I can't, I can't give you a refund, but heck of a paperweight. <laughs> yeah. Although, I will point out, every time I watch this episode, I think about how in Angel... When he, you know, loses his soul again and they can't find an Orbit Thessala. Like they have such a hard time finding one and have to go to these extreme lengths to get it. And then they finally find one and it's the last one ever. And they have to be so careful with it and it disappears and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, y'all just need to go to Sunnydale because there's a bunch of people there that have them as paperweights. (laughs) And I think that every single time. Like, there's a bunch of paperweights of these in Sunnydale. You know, go get them. That's the, that's the great that's the great issue now. Well, and then at the end of the series, Sunnydale implodes and everything, like... But this is before that. Yeah, but, like, I'm just wondering, though, now, truly, after Sunnydale does that, are there no more Orb of Thessalus? Because they were all in Sunnydale as paperweights. Right, yeah. <laughs> now it's truly an issue. But, yeah, literally, every time I see that episode, I think that. Like, y'all should just go get them. Instead of okay. going on eBay and searching for Orb of Thessala, you go on eBay and search New Age Paperweight. There you go. <laughs> That's how to find it. So then we go to the next scene, and we are back at school, and Xander joins Buffy and Willow and asks them what they did last night, and they said they had a pajama party with weapons. And Xander <laughs> makes a comment about, you know, why didn't I get pictures? And Willow says, oh, I have to go. I'm going to teach a class in five minutes, and I have to get there early to glare at the stragglers, and then sees Jenny and is very disappointed. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, five hours of lesson planning drown the drain. And I'm like, wow, five hours for one class. <laughs> that she was okay. only supposed to be there for, like, the first part of it. Like, I mean. <laughs> yeah, the first ten minutes. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> Buffy goes to meet Jenny. She starts to open up, and then it's just like rubs it in a little bit more when she's just like I know you feel bad about what happened and I just wanted to say good keep it up <laughs> uh, but then she course corrects and says he misses you he doesn't say anything I mean but I know he does and I don't want him to be lonely I don't want anyone to which is just oh like such a gut yeah. punch line poor Buffy it really is <laughs> Jenny starts to like talk to Buffy about trying to make this up and Buffy pieces out of the conversation saying we're good let's just leave it but yeah that's Buffy's piece of trying to at least get a happy ending for somebody in her life although I know I just can't help to think if she had just let Jenny talk mm-hmm. a little bit longer then she would have known that there was a chance and maybe they would have looked through Jenny's stuff at the end of this episode a little bit better oh yeah you know and 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 all of it would have been over sooner yeah you know just for that that five seconds she didn't let Jenny keep talking. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then we are in a school hallway and Buffy has found Giles. Who is engaging with other students? Who is this man? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and then Cordelia sees him, and, sees him and comes up. And Giles and Buffy are talking about her night. And Giles points out that he found a spell to revoke the invitation for vampires. At which point, Cordelia comments, Thank goodness I had to talk my grandmother into switching cars with me last night. <laughs> which, okay, so yeah, I have a lot to say about this. It's a very corny thing to do and say. And Giles gives her this look like he just cannot believe her. But here's the thing. It was actually assuming that you could actually revoke an invitation to a car. It was actually a very smart thing to do. And I'll, this is why. Okay. <laughs> this is why I think it was. She didn't put her grandmother in any danger because Angel would not be after her grandmother. Uh-huh. He is after specifically people who are close to Buffy so that he can hurt Buffy. And while he might, if given the opportunity, go after Cordelia... He's not going to be interested in her grandmother. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to be looking for her car specifically to get her. So it actually wasn't dangerous to her grandmother to switch cars. Does that make sense? Yeah. If we take it. If we assume, assume that the car yeah. comes in. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I have to, to say, and it's coming up. So basically Giles explains what the ritual consists of and all of the things that they'll need, including crosses because you have to hang crosses and we cut to willow's room where she is kneeling across to her wall and like trying to cover it up with a curtain because she's gonna have a hard time explaining this to her dad as the conversation progresses cordelia's kind of being cordelia and they're like well you can just go because we've already done your car so here's the funny thing is that there's no invite clause to a car and, and they all know it. and they all know it Yet somehow, just to shut Cordelia up, they prioritized disinviting Angel from her car her over car. everybody else. His house, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just hilarious to me that just to shut Cordy up so they could move on. Which obviously to do that, she got her car back from her grandmother. <laughs> So then Cordelia tells them when they tell her to leave. And you know I'd do the same for you if either of you had a social life. <laughs> and here's my question. Who's Cordelia hanging out with that's not them? <laughs> she doesn't have friends that aren't See, them. that's just that default Cordelia. She's just snapping back to that persona every now and again. I love it. I think right, it's but so where's true. Where's she going? I think it's so true. I think it's so true. She will say that. No, she's going to go hang out with Xander. <laughs> well, apparently. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, because she doesn't have friends right now, like her other friends, because she's with Xander. Yeah. Um, oh, so anyway, okay. I just thought that was funny. Uh, we skipped over it, but in uh, Willow's talking about how much the crucifixes are going to bother her father, who is Ira Rosenberg. We learned her <laughs> father's name. She says that she has to go over to Xander's house every year just to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special. But it's worth it to get him to do the Snoopy dance. <laughs> Yes, and I kind of want to see Xander do the Snoopy dance. Oh, we do see it. Well, yeah, we see it later. We see it later. <laughs> the beautiful, beautiful Snoopy dance. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but in this episode, you know, when you watch it, you think, I want to see I want to see it. Dance. And you don't get the payoff until like three years. See, this is why Buffy's such a good show. <laughs> yeah. So then Cordelia picks up her coat to leave, and underneath it is a parchment envelope. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And she hands it to Willow. And, like, at this point, I'm not sure why people don't realize a parchment envelope means angel. Because, like, we should know this by now. But she's just like, oh, something for you. Like, it came in the mail or something, you know? And hands it to Willow, who opens it and unfolds it. And then 
like doesn't panic or anything just very slowly looks at Buffy and says no it's for you and mm-hmm. then hands it to her like and I'm thinking when I saw that I would think this was an urgent issue oh my god Buffy here you know yeah but she's just like no it's for you and hands <laughs> it to Buffy and then we see it and it is Joyce sleeping mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so then we cut to very quickly um, Joyce pulling into the driveway of her house and Angel is there. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, the most terrifying version of Angelus. Yeah. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> and again, yeah. his acting is really good here. We talked about how good his acting was in that scene where he's with Buffy right after and she doesn't know that he's lost his soul yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, his acting here is so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and like... I find myself, I'm really curious as to what Angel was planning when he went there. Mm-hmm. Like, what was he going to say to Joyce or do to Joyce? Was he going to kill her? Was he just going to try and scare her? Because he doesn't know that Buffy told her mom about him. Mm-hmm. Or that Buffy, in order to prepare her mom for what might happen, made him sound like a stalker. But, like, the second... Joyce says she told me she wants you to leave her alone. Angel picks up on it immediately and starts acting like a stalker. I can't. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, he's obsessed. You, you know what I'm saying? But I don't think that Angel actually went there to give Buffy's mom the impression he was obsessed with her daughter. Mm-hmm. I think that he was probably going there to kill her. Yeah. To up his torment of Buffy. And when Joyce said that, he's like, oh. We're going with the stalker thing. Okay, I could get some fun out of this. Yeah. And then goes along with it. He picks up on it immediately and starts with it, you know? And then I also think that he probably was going to do that having fun and then follow her into the house and kill her. Yeah, I think his intent was still probably to kill her. Well, Um, yeah, but he decided to, you know, do that. Yeah, he wanted to play around a little bit. I also wonder, this is something to think about a little bit in the bigger context, but I also wonder... How much does the situation in which somebody is killed and turned impact how they act as a vampire? Because I also like the idea that Angel went there to turn Joyce. Because that would be especially bad for Buffy. Oh yes, it really, really would. I think there's something to be said about like some of the things that happen right before somebody turns kind of has some reflection on what they act like as a vampire. I don't know, like, how much we can dig into that in this episode, but I think we can definitely see some cause for that. So I almost wonder, like, if he is setting her up to have certain feelings and certain emotions as she becomes a vampire, because that might impact the way she acts as a vampire. I don't know. Like, there's just, there's something there that could be kind of dug into deeper that we have to look at a lot of different situations where people were turned and the circumstances to see if there's any patterns there or if I'm just reading into it. But if there is something there, I could totally see Angelus playing with that. Oh, yes. If that was, if that was a thing, I, I definitely think he would. But my thing with it is like, he has no way of knowing that Joyce knows anything about him except for that one night episodes ago where he got stuck in the house. Mm hmm. Or knowing that Buffy warned her mom about him by by claiming he was stalking her, sort of, even though she didn't use those words. But he immediately starts acting like a stalker and and talking about how, oh, I can't, I'm obsessed with her, I can't be without her and stuff. 
and plays it up. So he, whatever his plan was, it changed when the first, at the first part of it, when Joyce says, mm-hmm. she told me she wants you to leave me alone. So here's my, really starts. here's my counter argument to that though. I think it's shown at least some degree in this episode, even though we don't see him like stalking outside the house during that particular scene, Angel is constantly just outside Buffy's house, just absorbing all of her misery because he just loves it. And there's a good chance he could have been within proximity to overhear that conversation between Buffy and Joyce and have that information going forward. Okay, I guess that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I still like to think that he just, he came up with it at the spur of the moment. Oh, yeah. From like, the way Joyce e- was I think either reading is... To try to mess with her. ...works. Like, yeah. I think either reading works. And both are creepy in their own way. Like, the stalker <laughs> making sure yeah. he has all the information he can to manipulate everybody around Buffy works. But also the, I will take advantage of every situation that comes before me, no matter how underprepared I am for that and just make it the most miserable terrible thing because that's like if this is premeditated then that's malicious but if this is spur of the moment then that's artistry (laughs) the fact that he can do this spur of the moment he Mm -hmm. is so good at his craft he didn't even need to prep to be this terrifying Yeah, that's the one I choose to believe. Um, <laughs> I will just continue to find ways to compliment Angel throughout this episode. Man, he is such an artist. <laughs> yeah. And isn't there isn't there a play, and I think it's either Drusilla or Spike, maybe, that talk about how if you terrify the person you're fixing a drink from, it makes it taste better? Ooh, I don't remember and that, so but I believe that. I believe that that's something. That One they, of them like insinuates that or says it now. And I want to say it's either Drew, Scylla or Spike, but I can't remember when or anything. But at some point, one of them says that. And that's maybe what he decides to do since yeah. he's fixing the killer, you know, to like, oh, I can terrify her by acting stalkery. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, but, and it's just okay. a, it's just fun for him. He he relishes yeah. in this so much. So even if ultimately it doesn't change anything for how it hurts Buffy, because Buffy's just going to find Joyce dead and she doesn't know all of the context of what he did to Joyce beforehand, whatnot. Um, He's still going to enjoy the time that he gets to torture Joyce because that's still fun for him. It's Summers. I need to talk to you. You're Angel. Did Buffy tell you about us? She told me she wants you to leave her alone. Uh, I can't. I can't do that. You're scaring her. You have to help me. Joyce... I I need to be with her. You can convince her. You have to convince her. Look, I'm telling you to leave her alone. You have to talk to her for me, Joyce. Tell her I need her. Please, look, I I just want to get inside, okay? You don't understand, Joyce. I'll die without Buffy. She'll die without me. Are you threatening her? Please. Why is she doing this to me? I'm calling the police now. And she reaches the front door and Angel decides to tell Joyce's mom that they slept together. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't been able to sleep since the night we made love. And Joyce just kind of looks at him in shock and finally gets inside the house. And Angel tries to follow her and is stopped short. And we see Buffy and Willow finishing up the spell to de-invite him with Sage and Willow speaking in Latin. Mm-hmm. 
A Buffy walks up to the door, says, sorry, Angel, I've changed the locks, and slams the door. And here's the second time in this episode when I'm going to say, how does Joyce not know? <laughs> we literally just use, like, Latin and sage to keep someone from entering a house. Like, they physically cannot enter now. Like, how does she not know? Come on. <laughs> she watched this happen. <laughs> I I feel like I count this, even though there's that little bit of moment where she kind of mixes a potion in witch, which I guess you could kind of say is magic, but this is her casting a spell, and I'd say that this is the first time we see Willow cast magic. Yeah. Yeah. And this might be what makes her like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we go to the computer lab, and Jenny's working on her computer, and Giles walks in. And they have a, a little conversation, and she says that I'm working on a special project. I don't want to say anything, uh, but I might have some good news, and I have to finish up. Can I talk to you later? And he tells her to stop by the house. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, okay, good, and he leaves, which I'm assuming that, like, she knows where he keeps the spare key or something, because later when he goes home, he doesn't seem surprised that she's already in the house. Yeah. So, like, does he assume she knows where he kept the key, or does Giles leave his house completely unlocked in Sunnydale? Yeah. You know, because I think Giles would be smarter than that. <laughs> then we go back to the magic shop, and we have the the shopkeeper who hears somebody enter the store and says, can't you read the sign? Then he turns around and sees Drusilla with the puppy. Sunshine. Yeah, and he's like, what do you want? And Drusilla says that, uh, she wants to know what you and the mean teacher talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> so he's dead. Um. <laughs> yeah, so he's dead. We never, we never go back to find him dead or anything like that. But um, you just know. <laughs> I think it's safe to assume that you still like killed him after getting the information out of him, which might have involved torture. Yeah. Oh, that puppy's seen some stuff. <laughs> So back at the school, Jenny is finishing up the translation, and she makes a backup. She has it on disc, and she prints a hard copy. She's such a good student. Saves it on a disc and takes it out of the computer and lays it on her desk. That's very important. We Mm -hmm. should know that. She takes it out of the computer and lays it on her desk. And then (laughs) she sees Angel sitting in the back of her classroom. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, oh. (laughs) She wants to know how he got in, and he says something Latin that was on the front of the school, and that it invited him, and it's, enter all ye who seek knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, So he can come in, which doesn't really make sense, because later, it, I mean, he can just walk into the school at any time. So the justification that I've heard is, Jenny... Is like, how did you get in here? Meaning, how did I not notice you? And Angel, being, I'm gonna, like, make a gag out of this, talks about the the Latin on the front of the school, even though he would have an invite because it's a public school no matter what. Right, because we see vampires go in it all the time without an invite. So, it's just, instead of being like... Because I'm super sneaky and badass. He's just like, no, because yeah. I'm going to have this quirky bit of dialogue about 
knowledge and how I'm a knowledge seeker. Um, I really like that reading. I think that kind of like, because I think a lot of people are confused by that. I was just like, so wait, are they not supposed to be able to go into schools? But it's not that. It's just like, how did you get in here? Like, I have been sitting here working on this and you are just here and I am not cool with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then she tries to tell him that she has good news and he's like, I know. I know what you're going to do and I don't want it. <laughs> so he takes the orb of Thresla and throws it against the wall so it shatters and uh, then he looks at the computer and is like wow the world's changed so much look at computers <laughs> and printers and then he grabs the papers and tears them up and destroys the computer and, and he tells him wait that's your cure and he's like yep nope done that don't want to cure happy the way i am so here's the interesting thing she she doesn't finish that sentence i don't know in the script if it says that that's what she's supposed to say but she doesn't finish that sentence she just says that's your and he says my cure but it's yeah, funny because it's the script. always called a curse up to that point and i think i don't know if i've like there's maybe a couple times where they refer to it as a cure but the truth of the matter is, like, it's really referred to as a curse. And I, like, I think that's the first time I've ever heard anybody talk about it as if it was a cure. So it's and not... It's, it's Angel that yeah, says it. It's not cursing Angelus, it's curing Angel and that flip-flop. But it's interesting that, yeah, it is Angelus that says it for the first time, calls it a cure. It's, I don't know, I think, like, there's something to read into that. I, I... For this watch through for the of this episode, I noticed a lot more of Angel having influence on Angelus than I've ever really yeah. noticed in the past. Well, you know, if if we go with the theory that Angel is like trapped inside Angelus mm -hmm. during this, that would basically say that all vampires, the real person, is trapped inside the demon. Yeah. Well, I don't which think it's is a horror all yeah. on its own. But, like, Angel's aware of everything that Angelus is doing to Buffy. Yeah. And I don't think that's and the... true of all vampires? Yeah, I don't think that's how it works so much. Is like, you're not a trapped in and aware, even though they have that bit later on in Season 4 of Angel mm -hmm. where it is kind of that way, where they're both existing inside Angel at all times. It's weird. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what it really is, is it's the idea of shared memory. Like, these are two different personalities that have a shared memory and so angelus <laughs> remembers what it's like to be in love to have those feelings to have that happiness even though he like quote-unquote detests it now there's things about what he's doing and things that he resisting doing that kind of show that there's something about those memories that still have some control over angelus's actions um, and he's so, you're right, he's so singularly focused on Buffy, but I think that there's still love there. It's the obsession side yeah. of it, but I think I like, that there's still love there. Yeah, I like that idea much better than the idea of the pe person who, you, it, the vampire used to be is in there hiding, because that's yeah. just <laughs> that, horrifying. That's terrifying. For all, if you think about all the vampires, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh -oh. But I think we talk a lot about and how Spike has love for Buffy being an unsold vampire. But I think Angelus has love for Buffy being an unsold vampire. Mm -hmm. But he is 
a much more manipulative, like, I'm going to use this to my advantage and relish in this uh, ecstasy, this passion, this, you know, all of this stuff that he kind of, like, waxes poetical about in this episode. It's all, he's writing a love poem about Buffy. I mean, that's what he's doing in this episode. Mm -hmm. It's Um, creepy. (laughs) Oh, yes, very much. Although I have to point out one thing I have in my notes. In this scene with Angel and Jenny, mm-hmm. when he destroys the computer, he knocks it down. And for some reason, it spontaneously catches on fire. <laughs> I have that in my notes, too. <laughs> which I'm pretty sure computers don't actually do. <laughs> then he uses the fire to burn the paper that she had printed out. Mm-hmm. And then they leave this scene. They both leave this room and never go back. But somehow the school does not burn down. Yeah. Computer fires are very self-contained. That's the, like, right. here's, the, here's the science behind computer fires. Um, computers, when they spontaneously combust like that, it's all like contained within the metalwork of the computer, and then it just burns down. It doesn't catch anything else on fire. Um, That's the science. Are you being serious? <laughs> or, like, you said that so confidently. I'm like, does she really? I took acting lessons from Angelus. <laughs> Okay, apparently. Because <laughs> you're saying, explaining that, I'm like, I do not know if she is funny or if she is really There is. Serious. Now, let me, let me put this out. A power supply of a computer is extremely dangerous if it's opened up. Even if it's not plugged and you touch mm-hmm. the insides of a power supply, you could die. Like, there is stuff about that. Like, there's reasons why it's all, like, packaged in and... and sheltered in that metal case Uh, i wouldn't think it would just catch on fire it won't i don't think it like just catches on fire like that i've never heard of computers paper in it like if you add things to the fire it doesn't stay contained (laughs) true you know if we're going with that's the the canon about computer fire my issue with this right now my issue with this is Angel just isn't nearly as thorough as he thinks he is because he was sitting there watching Jenny make that backup yeah, <laughs> and put uh, it to the side. <laughs> maybe he got distracted because he was hungry. <laughs> um, so he says this thing. He says that, isn't this my lucky day? The computer and the pages. Looks like I get to kill two birds with one stone. And then he turns into his vamp face and looks up at Jenny and says, and teacher makes three. Mm-hmm. And Jenny takes off running. He chases her. They kind of run around the school for a little while, going in different rooms and using uh, janitor trolleys and stuff to slow him down. <laughs> I'm guessing there's a janitor around somewhere. Uh, possibly Angel has already eaten him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Then she she enters a hallway and Angel catches her and then snaps her neck, mm-hmm. which seems very wasteful. Yeah. Well, why does he bite her? So the Joss Whedon actually talks about this. Um, oh, does he? There's okay. an interview on the DVD that I watched where he talks about they talked about how to kill Jenny off, and the first thought was he bites her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they decided not to do that for. Two reasons. The first was they didn't want anybody to think that she was going to come back. Yeah. Um, so they wanted to make sure that this was a type of death that you don't come back as a vampire from. But then he also liked the idea of just how insulting it is that he isn't even going to bother to feed. And that's just another layer of how awful Angel is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and how awful Joss Whedon is. 
why did they why were they wanting to kill off Jenny? Did she want off the show or are they just done with her character or what? Um, I don't know. I've also heard that at one point they had discussed Oz being the one that Angel kills off. But then they switched to Jenny. So I don't know if she wanted off well, the Oz, show. Well, Oz or was what. a really popular character. Yeah. I think they, they already saw all the potential in Oz and was just like, it was kind of the whole um, issue that they had with Spike and killing off Spike. They're like, well, crap, we can't do this now. What Everybody do we do instead? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure what the ultimate deciding factor, but I think Jenny's the right character. I think Jenny has the right level of impact to make it possible for you to love Angel again, but not... So much that you wouldn't yeah, care. Yeah, not so much like, that you wouldn't but care. But it was Teresa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds horrible, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because if, if it had been like Xander or Willow, obviously he could have never been forgiven. Yeah. Okay, well, and Angel has killed the first member of the Scoobies, apparently. Mm-hmm. Our main character. I don't know if she'd really be a member, but the first main character. Yeah, unless you count Jesse, which apparently the show doesn't because they forgot about him. <laughs> but Angel didn't kill Jesse. Oh, I thought you were saying that Jenny was the first fallen soldier, basically. The first... Scooby's person. No, I was saying the first one that Angel kills. Okay. Angel has killed somebody. Well, that finally. just makes it that just makes it sound like Angel kills multiple members of the Scooby. Moving on. Well, <laughs> Jenny's dead. That that happened. Giles shows up at Buffy's house. Uh, <laughs> I love Willow's there. Um, kind of explains. Yeah, everything worked. Here's the book. Um, and it is, it is very much the book that Jenny gave him. You can see it's the same book. So that's a, it's a nice thing that another parting gift from Jenny. But he says that I guess I should do my apartment tonight. So that kind of clears up any confusion that apparently at some point Giles invited Angel into his apartment. So that's why he has access and asked uh, how the ritual went. And Willow's just like, oh yeah, it went fine. Well, it went fine until Angel showed up and told Buffy's mom that he and Buffy had, well, you know, that they had, you know, you do know, right? Oh, yes, yes, sorry. Oh, good, because I just realized that being a librarian and all, you maybe didn't know. Oh, thank you, uh, I got it. You would have been proud of her, though. She totally kept her cool. Okay, well, I'll tell Buffy you stop by. What do you, um... So perhaps I should uh, intervene on, on Buffy's behalf with, with her mother. Um, maybe say something? Sure. Like, what would you say? And then he stops and is just like, so you'll tell Buffy I stopped by? <laughs> and she's like, you bet. It's just, it is a hilarious scene. It's like, yeah, really, what would the librarian at, at her school say? Oh, yeah. Like, it's just like, I want to help. And then I start thinking about it. I was like, I would do nothing but make everything a million times worse. But yeah, she's <laughs> like, I can't help in this situation. <laughs> yeah. So then we are in Buffy's bedroom, and she is talking to her mom. And she's explaining that the stuff with the herbs and the Latin and everything, that Angel's really superstitious. <laughs> and Joyce says, oh. Like, we don't discuss this anymore, that there was literally a vampire at our door a few minutes ago. <laughs> no discussion about that. We're just going to, like, let that one slide. Instead, we're going to discuss about how um, Buffy has had sex, mm-hmm. which, I mean, she's 17. I don't know that this is, is incredibly surprising. Yeah. But uh, mom is very surprised. Yeah. And uh, kind of ask her if it's the first time, and Buffy assures her it was. And 
basically tells her, you know, he's not very stable. I wish he would show more judgment. And uh, Joyce asks her if she was careful. And Buffy's like, Mom. And she's like, no, you don't get to, you don't get, to get out of this. You mm-hmm. have to answer me. Yeah. And then Buffy talks about how she can't tell her mom everything about her life. And Joyce is like, you know, you, you keep me out and I'm used to that, which is kind of another hint that Joyce knows something's going mm-hmm. on. Buffy. Which, at, I mean, I get that it's obvious she knows something is going on. I feel like she should know that there are vampires mm-hmm. and her daughter is involved in some way because of all the things that have happened. Yeah. And also what she just saw like three minutes ago. Yeah. But um, then Joyce talks about how much she loves her. And Buffy says, you know, I'm glad you love me and how this was the talk. And then Buffy mentions, what did you tell grandma when you? And I'm like, there's a grandma? Like, we literally never mentioned this grandma ever again. Huh. As far as I know. Grandma. Yeah. That's funny. I really like this scene. Um... (laughs) I do. Um, I under like the the questions that have been raised about how much Joyce knows kind of make me want to like rewatch uh, some stuff going forward a little differently. Um, but this scene in isolation, I think, is pretty strong for the fact that knowing what we know for sure, Joyce knows. I think Joyce's reaction here makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I particularly like the line of, you had sex with a boy you didn't even see fit to tell me you were dating. You know, talking about her judgment, meaning that you hid this boy from me. So there must be some reason that you had suspicions that he wasn't good like that, you know? Yeah. Not even the whole vampire hiding thing. Like, there's stuff that Joyce obviously couldn't piece together completely. But the fact is, Buffy hid a relationship from her mother. And Joyce is reacting to that as much as, I think, the the sex. Uh, I mean, I think the fact is, like, Buffy had this whole person in her life that was important enough to her and had enough influence on her and had gotten to the point of trust with her that she had sex with him. And Joyce didn't know anything about it. And I think part of that could be that realization, again, that you're talking about. is just like Joyce is coming to the terms with the fact that there is so much in Buffy's life that Joyce doesn't know. And I think if they hadn't revealed the truth at the end of the season and tried to keep going on with this bit of Joyce just being not aware, it really wouldn't have worked. Because there's so much in this episode that we've already pointed out that really show that Joyce is putting together the pieces. She's really working hard to put together those pieces. But then you have also that line of, you can shut me out of your life. I'm pretty much used to that as another sign. But um, then she has the the whole moment of, you know, I'm never going to stop caring about you. I love you more than anything in the world. And I just, I feel like it's, it's one of the better Joyce scenes. Similar, but not as good to the scene that she has later on with Giles, where she blames Giles for everything that happened with Buffy. When she realizes that Giles has all this information that she didn't have. And that's a, I think that kind of reflects this moment of, there's so much about Buffy's life that she doesn't know. And 
so many things that she did and so many things that she reacted to that she would have handled differently had she known. And then when you get later on, you know, this idea of Giles got to be that parent for Buffy and Joyce didn't have any say in that. And mm-hmm. that's that's harsh. I mean, we'll get to that when we, when that episode comes around. But I think this is something that kind of shows that Joyce is capable of handling all of Buffy's baggage. Like, she could process all of this stuff. She doesn't have the greatest reaction in Becoming Part 2, but you can see over time, as they grow closer and closer, that Joyce can handle think- all the things in Buffy's life. She can be there for yeah. Buffy with everything going on. While she doesn't have the best reaction... When she finds out, she does believe it very quickly. Yes. So she, I, I agree, she was coming to terms with it. She's mm-hmm. like, doesn't take her as long to believe it as say like I would if it was my child. Yeah. Because like, I've not had vampires at my door. Yeah. But I think this scene shows she can be mad at Buffy and upset and disappointed in Buffy and love Buffy all at the same time because that's what a parent does. Um, Mm -hmm. And she shows that all to Buffy at once. She's just like, you know, you showed poor judgment. You did things that I do not support. And you should have talked to me about it. And you should have told me. And I am used to being shut out of your life. But just so you know, that isn't going to work. No matter how much you try to keep all this stuff from me, it's not going to change anything about how I feel about you. And that, I mean, I just think that's powerful. I think that's... something that Buffy needed to hear at that time. I think it's similar to um, the you don't look any different to me kind of line, right? That she has at the end of Innocence. That there's moments that she gets from her mother through this that really make me wish that she had more context. Because this is the episode where Buffy really considers, should I tell my mom the truth? And Giles Mm -hmm. pushes it away, you know, you can't do that. And that may not have been the right move on Giles's part because Buffy needs her mother. I think it's not just about protecting Joyce. I think it's about helping Buffy get through this terrible time in her life and all of this that she's dealing with. And there's something to be said about having that support from your mother is something that could have helped her get through this. It's just another one of those, if things had timed out differently, how would the characters have reacted? If yeah. Joyce had if Joyce had learned about Buffy being a vampire slayer on Buffy's terms rather than in the shock uh, and drama idea. of yeah. everything that happened in Becoming, what would have Joyce's reactions been? What what would Joyce have been able to offer to Buffy? Would she have reacted the same way and made Buffy feel shunned, or would she have processed it better and had a another person on Buffy's team to uplift Buffy to give her that I'm not judging you all you're going to get is my support and respect type of person in her life, right? Because she mm-hmm. she has that with Giles, but her mother doesn't know everything that's going on in her life. And so even here, when she says that I'm still going to love you, there's still part of Buffy that's just like, I am lying to you all the time. All the time. I am constantly lying to you. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be hard with somebody that you love so much and you know loves you and you know that Part of love is trust because that's kind of a theme of what she's going through with Angel is the idea of love versus trust and how those two kind of go hand in hand. But she has all of this love for her mother, but her mother can't truly trust her because she has to constantly keep her mother locked out of parts of her life. Mm -hmm. I like this scene. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) It made me think. I like scenes that make me think. Okay, this next scene. I don't like it all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
like it because it doesn't make sense. Okay. Not what it is. It it does not make sense. Okay. So we see Giles coming to his apartment. Mm Mm-hmm. And he walks up to the door, and there's a single red rose between the door knob and the and the door. And he picks it up and grins because he's happy. He had told Jenny to meet him at his house later. Mm-hmm. So let's assume that she knew where a hidden key was. Okay. And had access to his house. Let's even just assume that that's true. So that part makes sense. Okay. This part is okay. She left a rose. He's like, oh, that's so romantic. It's sweet. And then he goes in, and there's more roses, and there's soft and romantic music playing, and he sees wine chilling in a bucket with crystal glasses and a note that says upstairs. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I feel like this should have been weird. Mm -hmm. Because they haven't, as far as we know, spent a night together yet. Mm -hmm. They were dating, and then they had a falling out, and... They're, they just, that very day, earlier that day, talked about talking to each other. Like, mm-hmm. she was supposed to stop by to give him some good news, not to reconcile. They hadn't yeah. talked about reconciling. So, I think that Giles being happy about what he comes home and finds is very out of character and, and wouldn't have happened. And I also feel like if if... Him thinking that Jenny actually did this was very, very presumptuous mm-hmm. on her part to have, you know, and he would have realized that. Yeah. And then he finds the the note that says upstairs. And again, it's on parchment paper. Mm-hmm. Same kind of parchment paper that Angel, like, how many people, do they all use this kind of paper for stuff to <laughs> write notes to each other? Like, this kind of paper should be like a calling card. Like, you realize this is Angel. Yeah. So he goes up the stairs and there's roses and candles all over the stairs, um, lining the, you know, the way up, roses on the landing, all this stuff. And it's too much. It's mm-hmm. too much for what the situation was supposed to be that night. Yeah. Her coming to talk to him and give him good news. And maybe they decide they'll see each other again. Yeah. Not this, where, like, they're back together and they're fixing to sleep together for the first time. She set all this up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense for where they are in the show. But, like, nobody ever really thinks about it because of what happens next when he gets to the top of the stairs and she is dead mm-hmm. in his bed. And she has been placed there by Angel as a gift. I mean, it's sad, and, and I feel so bad for Giles. I really do. But the scene doesn't make sense, and that kind of bothers me. Mm-hmm. Here's my thought on it. Earlier in the episode, Giles has that line to Buffy um, that as the Slayer, she doesn't have the luxury of being a slave to your passions, which obviously directly relates to him passionately wanting to kill Angel after this event, right? Like, that's that's kind of like the the foreshadowing that most people point out. But I think Mm -hmm. that there's something to be said about being a slave to your passion when it comes to love and a lot of what Angelus speaks about, he relates love and death in the same sentences over and over again. So I will say that there is something about being blinded in the moment, even though there's all of these signs being blinded in the moment of love, because what we get to reveal, we have Jenny's moment of saying, I love you earlier in this episode. But at the end, when they're burying Jenny, Giles says that she was the first one that I ever loved. 
Um, and I think that there could be something said about even though there's all of these signs that you point out, and Giles should be smart enough to dissect this and realize that this isn't Jenny. I think there could be something said about the nature of passion and the nature of being in love, clouding your judgment to such a degree that you don't think straight and process what's actually happening until it's right in your face. Yeah, I guess so. I just, it always bothers me. Yeah. I think that this is um, designed to be an emotional scene more than a logical scene, and it works brilliantly as an emotional scene. But you're right, there's a lot of things that, knowing Giles and knowing how smart he is, he is the bookman, that he should be able to piece this together and figure this out. But he doesn't, and I think that that... In a it's way, this is what he, he 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 was happy about this. Yeah. He wanted this to happen. He wanted this. When he got there and saw what she had set up. Yeah, or supposedly set up. He was happy about it, and I get that. Yeah, he wants it so bad I, that he forgets uh, what's that going she on. Have yeah. done this. Yeah, yeah. And I I think I'm, it's surprising that Giles forgot or assumed that this would happen when this isn't what would have happened. Yeah. You know, Jenny isn't this presumptuous, and they weren't at this place, and it's very elaborate. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I think it goes back to that idea of him telling Buffy that she can't be a slave to her passion, when really, Giles is the one that's a slave to his passion in this episode. Yeah. So then we have the police in Giles's apartment, and they are um, telling him he's going to have to come with them so they can ask some questions, and... He says, yes, I just need to make a phone call first. And uh, we go to Buffy's house. Mm -hmm. And we see Angel watching through the window as Willow and Buffy are talking. And um, they receive a phone call. And on the phone call, we can tell it's Giles telling Buffy what happened. And Buffy kind of sinks down to the floor. Mm -hmm. And Willow takes the phone and he tells Willow what happened. And the first time we hear her saying, the first sound we hear is her saying, no, no, oh, no. Yeah. Joyce comes in and hugs her. And the whole time, this is being seen from Angel watching them through mm-hmm. the window. Now, I want to go ahead and say the script book has all of this dialogue in it. It says that it's supposed to be unheard dialogue. Mm-hmm. But it is in here. Um, and I was thinking I would read it. Yes, absolutely. So... When it first goes on there, they're talking, and Willow says, so was it horrible? And Buffy says, it wasn't too horrible. And they're talking about the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then when the phone rings, Buffy lifts the re- receiver. She says, hello. Giles says, Buffy. Buffy says, Giles, hey, we finished this. And Giles interrupts her and says, Jenny, Miss Callender, she's been killed. Uh, Buffy's face goes slack, and she starts to slide down the wall. And Buffy says, what? What? And Giles says, it was Angel. This is when Willow crosses over and takes the phone and says, Giles. And Giles says, Willow, Angel's killed Jenny. And she says, what? No. Oh, no. When Joyce comes in, she says, Willow, my God, Buffy, what's wrong? Has something happened? And uh, meanwhile, Angel is, you know, he's outside and he's doing his his monologue about passion mm-hmm. during this. So that that's what the conversations were actually. Yeah were and then they just made it where it was unheard and all of these things say right after the 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 lines have parentheses that say unheard dialogue Uh 
Like it was all meant to yeah. not be heard. It was meant to be silent, but yeah. it was written. So I thought I would share what all it is. It's it's pretty much what you'd expect. Yeah. They do that on occasion where they give the actor something to work with that the audience never hears. The scene with Buffy and Dawn in the body where it's the class staring at them through the window and mm-hmm. Buffy's revealing to Dawn that Joyce died is done the same way. They have dialogue in that. The actors have dialogue that they exchange in that scene, but we can't hear that as the audience. And it tends to be regarding death that they do that with. Which makes it more intense. I see why they do it. Yeah. Something to note in this scene is that Angel's watching through these curtains. Um, And there's a shot. I used it in the thumbnail because I love it so much, but there's a shot between... Buffy and Angel in Lie to Me at the end of the conversation that they have about Drusilla and when Buffy confesses that she loves Angel, where they have this wide shot that's through this same window. And it's the audience looking through the window at this couple. In that little section where you actually are seeing the two of them through those same curtains, Angel says, talking about Ford, but Angel says, I don't know what he wants from you, but you can't trust him. This scene being shot through those same curtains i'm not sure if it's supposed to echo back to lie to me but when i watched it i immediately thought of lie to me and Mm -hmm. that conversation especially because it is the conversation about drew and what angel did to drew and now angel is doing the same thing to buffy and so they do parallel in a lot of ways but um i just I, the entire time I was watching this scene, I was just like, oh my God, this is lie to me. This is, this is, this is lie to me. <laughs> this is that moment yeah. from lie to me. And in that moment, we were the audience looking through at this couple that we were so in love with, right? And now Angel is the audience taking in the work that he's done, right? He's just so proud of himself. And he's the one looking through the window at this girl the that... Pain. That girl that he's destroying. He's watching Buffy. Like when I said that earlier, he is there to watch Buffy's reaction. That's the one he's excited about. That's the one that he's paying attention to when he says the ecstasy of grief. He delights in her sorrow. And watching those two scenes juxtaposed, because you know I did that, it's hard. (laughs) I'll have to I can do that. All my banjo fills are coming out this watch through. <laughs> I didn't realize I had so many. <laughs> so, um, outside the house, Cordy and Xander are pulling up, and Xander jumps out to meet with Buffy and Willow, saying that Giles isn't at the station. Um, the cops already said he's left. Uh, and Buffy asks if Cordy can drive them to Giles's apartment and she's like of course I love when you have moments like this where you have the group just come together and be so connected and supportive of each other like you know the last thing we saw Cordy do was make a catty comment about how they don't have a life and here you have Cordy just so genuine and so open and understanding of just like that is of course that is something I would do for you. Why wouldn't I do that for you? Like, it's just, you know, she yeah. just is um, so part of that group. Yeah. There is uh, some dialogue here cut out. Okay. Uh, Buffy says, where's Giles? And Xander explains that he'd already left the police station. Cordelia says, I still don't get it. Why Miss Calendar? She was so harmless. And Xander says, because Angel's a blood-sucking coward, they pick on the harmless. 
Mm-hmm. And Cordelia says, are we sure it was Angel? Buffy, in a very hard voice, says, it was Angel, all right. Cordelia, did Giles say, is Miss Callender going to, you know, be a vampire? And Willow says, no. And, you know, obviously we didn't see it. So we don't know if Willow is saying no, like, no, she's not going to be a vampire, like very firmly. Or if she's saying that Giles didn't say, kind of like, mm-hmm. no, you know, we don't know. Yeah. Because um, that part's cut out. So we don't know what they were going to do with that. But yeah. Anyway. Then uh, Buffy asks, asks Cordelia about taking them to Giles. Mm-hmm. So, but that's the little bit of dialogue that was cut out. Yeah. I do like uh, the line where they're like, you know, wouldn't he want to be alone right now? And yes, Buffy's like, I'm not worrying about what he wants. I'm worried about what he's going to do. And then we immediately cut to Giles in his apartment, preparing a bag of weapons, which includes a gas can. As he walks all out of the frame, it lowers and reveals a drawing of Jenny um, laying in Giles's bed. Um, of parchment. Of parchment, yeah. On parchment. Paper, parchment paper, and it's another drawing. And I'll point out, it does not look like Jenny. <laughs> the one of Buffy looked like Buffy. The one of Joyce looked like Joyce. I do not think this one looks like Jenny at all. So, I'm okay just with that. that. I'm okay with that. Because here's my thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise Angel again. He just has amazing work ethic. Because <laughs> let's, let's go through the order of events. He, in one night, has left a picture of Joyce in Willow's bedroom. Gone to harass Joyce, potentially planning to kill Joyce, then meets up with Drew at some point to find out that Jenny is in fact trying to reinstall him. So then he goes to the school and takes care of Jenny. Then he takes the time to go and get all of these roses and candles arranged so nicely and set up this thing and for, one. For, yeah. for Giles and takes time to draw a picture of Jenny while he's doing that. So that might be why it doesn't, it's not his best work. He was a little rushed. He has a busy night. Um, <laughs> of course. But then after he's done all that, then he backtracks to Buffy's so he can watch Buffy react to Jenny's death. Like this is a busy night for Angel. <laughs> True, true, true. Uh. Um, so they are, they arrive at Giles and, and kind of look around at everything. And uh, Xander says, it looks like Giles had big plans for tonight. And Buffy says, Giles didn't set all this up. Buffy's like, Angel did. All of this is, you know, the wrapping for the gift. And Xander's like, oh, poor Giles, which is true. It was, that's pretty harsh oh, what yeah. happened. Um Willow points out that his weapons are gone. And there's a little funny part to like kind of cut the tension where they talk about how those are his good weapons because he keeps his everyday weapons at the library. Yeah. <laughs> I <love> um, <laughs> Buffy says he'll go to wherever Angel is. They talk about how that's the factory. And Cordelia says, so Giles is going to try to kill Angel. Mm-hmm. And Xander goes on kind of a rant here about how it's about time somebody did. Let's not forget that I hated Angel long before the rest of you, and I deserve something for not saying I told you so. And if Giles wants to, you know, go after the fiend who murdered his girlfriend, I say faster pussycat kill kill. Which I kind of love that Mm -hmm. little thing Xander does. Buffy points out that the only thing wrong with that is that it's going to get Giles killed, not Angel. It's a really, I like that conversation a lot. Yeah, I, I think it works. I mean, it's still kind of... Xander being kind of a jerk, but also a justified jerk to a certain degree in this moment. Um, now, the things that's been pointed out is that, obviously, 
hating Angel before does not make him suddenly more right than everybody else. Like, right now, Angel is, in fact, a different person than when Xander hated him and all of that. Um, But funny story about this speech. I feel like I have contributed something wonderful to the Buffy community because of this speech. Um, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not that deep. Uh, but no, I, a lot of times after I'm done with the episode, I go on to the Buffy wiki and I kind of just look through the different uh, continuity things that have been posted about it and the references and everything like that. And in the pop culture references on the Buffy wiki, it doesn't mention anything about faster pussycat kill kill. And I was just like, that really? has to be a reference. So I looked it up and got all the information and went back to the pop culture references and made my very first submission to... The Buffy Wiki. So if you go to the Buffy Wiki for passion, you go to pop cultural references, you can now see that under that, the third bullet down, it says at the end of Xander's speech about Giles killing Angel, he says, faster pussycat kill kill, which is a 1966 American exploitation film following three go-go dancers who embark on a spree of kidnapping and murder in the California desert. And that was me. I did that. (laughs) (laughs) that's cool um it's not it doesn't explain it in the script book obviously because it's just a script but it is in the watcher's guide ah that that piece of information it just like blew my mind that it wasn't already on the wiki i was just like well can i just add it (laughs) so i did i contributed to the wiki i feel like i'm a true buffy fan (laughs) you know i've actually never been to the buffy wiki i live there (laughs) i tried not to I try not to like go on the Reddit threads or the the wiki and stuff because I don't want to like plagiarize anything in our podcast, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I I keep saying I'm gonna. I probably should check it out. Yeah, there's always little tidbits that I discover that I didn't know before, and so, and you know I I give credit as much as possible, but the wiki is literally just. The fans just going in there and editing like crazy. And there's no real way to give credit to anything because it's just a whole bunch of fans compiling all this information together. Uh, But it's always interesting to me to go and look through it. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of things in this podcast that I talk about that I know came to me because I watched somebody else talk about it five years ago. Read a blog five years ago. And there's no way for me to keep up with all of the information in my head and where oh, it all came yeah, from. yeah, that would be impossible. So uh, just credit right now to the Buffy fandom at large because they're awesome and there's constantly stuff coming out that keep changing my perspective on characters and relationships and themes and everything like that. And it's just a big all like treasure trove of information in my brain and I can never kind of keep track of where I got which ideas from, but the community at large is just constantly putting out so many great thoughts about this show, and God bless them. (laughs) So yeah, Um, from there, we go to the factory where Spike is angry, Mm -hmm. (laughs) shouting at Angel about how, um, are you insane? We're supposed to kill the bitch, not leave gag gifts in her friend's beds. And he keeps this bit up for a while, that it's like a gag gift to leave a dead person in somebody's bed. And that's just that's just vampires for you, right? <laughs> it's they're silly pranks killing people and leaving them dead all around and you know, that's um 
view into the psyche of vampires that I think is both brilliant and terrifying. <laughs> Drew says that they were doing it to prevent uh, Jenny from restoring Angel's soul, and Spike is just like, well, if you ask me, I find myself preferring the old Buffy whipped Angelus. This new improved one is not playing with the full sack. I love a good slaughter as much as the next bloke. But his little pranks will only leave us with one incredibly brassed-off slayer. Accurate. Accurate. <laughs> like, already, yeah, Spike, Spike knows. <laughs> Spike understands. Um, <laughs> yeah. Angel then says that, don't worry, roller boy, everything's under control. At which point, a uh, Molotov cocktail hits the table between them. <laughs> and, you know, just ignites in flame. So, yeah, under control. Yeah, it's fine. He's got this. <laughs> yeah. But an arrow hits him in the shoulder, and it's Giles, who I will always think and be convinced that he hit him in the shoulder on purpose. Mm -hmm. He could have hit him in the heart. Oh, yeah. He he wants, it's that slave to passion thing. It's not that he wants to kill Angel. It's that he wants to yeah. destroy Angel. <laughs> yeah, no, he starts um, hitting Angel with a baseball bat, and Angel says, geez, whatever happened to Wooden States? And this line was cut from the episode, but Giles in the script book says they don't hurt enough. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we are in full ripper right now. Oh, yeah. Giles is in full ripper right now. Well, and it's interesting because in, was it Ted, where Buffy was just, like, beating on a vampire and Giles was like, okay, you could just stake him already. Like, in that, he shows that even for vampires, he can have sympathy. That it's better mm -hmm. to just kill them and move on than it is to pummel them. So even there that shows that this isn't this isn't the type of fighting style that Giles would ever advocate for. So he is purely doing this off of emotions. He is so in his headspace of what Angel has done to him and what Angel has done to Jenny and he just doesn't care anymore about whether or not this is a good idea or anything about whether or not um, he's going to come out of this alive. He wants mm -hmm. to beat Angel to the ground and do as much damage as he possibly can. And death isn't, death isn't good enough. Like, just killing Angel quickly isn't enough for Giles. This is, this is the trap of revenge, right? It's not enough to just kill them, because that would be too easy. That's why Angel gets cursed in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole gypsy motto. It's not justice that they seek, it's vengeance. And Giles is taking that on. He's taking on that mantra. <laughs> yep. But yeah, he gets a few more licks. Uh, Drew tries to help, but Spike's like, no fair going into the ring unless he tags you first, which is <laughs> oh, I love that. fantastic. Um, but eventually Angel does overpower him. And says, all right, you've had your fun, but you know what it's time for? And this is when Buffy grabs him and knocks him back and says, my fun, and then kicks him in the face. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. At this point, when Buffy shows up, Drew immediately grabs Spike's wheelchair and starts to push him out. And they are gone. They are out of there. <laughs> I am not sure that this is what Drew would actually do. Because she cares about Angel, it doesn't make sense that she would just abandon him there. Mm -hmm. Even if she's trying to save Spike. But that's what she does. So they're gone. <laughs> and it's just Angel and Buffy left. Yes. 
Well, what I will say about the fight between Angel and Buffy is Angel's also very much on the defensive. He's just trying to get away. And Buffy is dominating this fight against him. Like, just completely um, has overpowered him. And he's just kind of hanging on and then takes the advantage when he can towards the end. But, like, he he, he very clearly, he's trying to get away. Like, he runs up the stairs and she starts to trip him. And then he, like, scrambles over and gets up to the rafting. And then she climbs up and meets him and knocks him around with a rope um and like just completely has the upper hand through all of this until mm-hmm. he just starts laughing and says are you just gonna let your old old man die and that's when Buffy looks down and her eyes go wide and she realizes oh yeah <laughs> so there's something to be said um, that Buffy here is also um a, a little slave bit to passion. yeah a little bit of a slave to passion going on there because she's yeah. she is not happy yeah, the line, you're going to just let your old man burn, mm-hmm. um, is not in the script. It was ad-libbed. But there is a line near the fight that Angel says that was cut out. Okay, I think I'm familiar and, with this line. Yeah, he says, you know, even when I feed off other girls, the name I call out is yours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, my favorite yeah. thing about this line is... Um, I discovered it when I was doing some research for this episode and there was a Reddit thread and somebody posted about this line and the original script and stuff like that. But somebody made the comment and was just like, I get that this line's like genuinely creepy and like what the effect that they were going for, but I can't, I just can't. Mm-hmm. Cause like whenever I hear this line, I just imagine him like trying to drink someone's blood and be like, roar, roar. <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard. Just a mouthful of blood. <laughs> oh, that—that's yeah. It's not near as creepy that way. Uh, um, so now, yeah. this this next scene with Willow, not Willow, with Giles and Buffy is so much caught cut out of it. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, for one thing, Willow, Xander, and Cordelia are there. Oh. Yeah. Um, they don't really have many lines, but they're there watching. Uh, Willow has one line, and it's she calls out Buffy. Mm-hmm. And Cordelia says, are you okay? And that's it. Those are their only lines, but they're all there. You know, in the, in the episode, Giles says, why did you come here? This was not your fight. Buffy, you know, punches him. She says, you bastard. And Giles says, you don't understand. Then in the script, or in the episode, she says, you're trying to get yourself killed. I can't do this by my, you know, she does the whole, don't mm-hmm. leave me alone. I can't do this by myself. And then they both drop to their knees crying. And Giles cries out Jenny's name twice, which is also not in the episode. Yeah. Um, I guess it wasn't that much that was cut out, but it's, it just seemed like it because it's like a whole page. Because mm-hmm. there's so many stage directions. Yeah. Well, and also so. um, there's that bit of like you could never understand that Giles says, or however it is in the script, um, that echoes earlier when he's like, I understand what you're going through. And Puffy just kind of frowns at him. He's like, okay, no, clearly I don't. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But it's something to be said that, like, no matter how much you've suffered, you can't understand someone else's suffering. So that's the only thing that I kind of find regrettable that they cut out um, in that. But the, the scene that they have, like, I love that it's just Buffy and Giles in the scene. That you don't have oh, the yeah, other me distractions. Too. Um, Much better that way. And this, to me, is the 
like emotional pinnacle of this episode. As much as I think that the scene where Giles goes into the apartment and finds Ginny is powerful and beautiful and all of those things, this is the emotional resonance of this episode, is this moment when Buffy punches Giles and says, I can't do this without you, right? Like, that's the moment. Yes, I love it. And I love that. That shows that even though Ginny is a quote-unquote bit player in Buffy's life, her dying hit Giles so hard and hit Buffy so hard because of that, that the the weight of that is still very effective. And Angel did, in fact, give Buffy the the catalyst that she needed to make it okay to kill him like that's Mm -hmm. that's that's the this is the episode that changes Buffy's mind like she wasn't there yet and now she is she is she is going to kill Angel this is when she makes that decision so yeah from there um they're both crying and it's terrible I wish they had lingered on this just a little bit longer but they may have had to cut around it because of other actors and this is the only bit that they got but you cut to Giles's apartment and him pulling the uh, police tape from the door as Angel is talking, finishing up his, his beautiful poem. During this, we have Remembering Jenny by Christoph Beck, um, which is one of the like most recognizable Buffy scores. Um, but also, fun fact, uh, Tony Head does some vocals. They're kind of just like ambient vocals in there. There's no like, actual words, but he records some singing that's blended into this track um and i didn't know that until doing huh. research for this episode and it made it so much harder to listen to <laughs> oh i bet yeah uh but yeah then we cut to jenny's grave which has the wrong yeah. name yeah it says jennifer calendar which i i don't like because it's not who she was but mm-hmm. here's the thing did Giles or Buffy, either one, ever know that she had a different name? Like, they know that she was part of the clan mm-hmm. that Angel killed the, you know, the daughter, which I've got some stuff to say about that in a second. But did they know that she had a different name? Did they know how to contact any of her family? Yeah, like, like, I don't think so. But at the same time, like... It's weird that it's Jennifer Calendar and that they bury her themselves and, like, the family doesn't claim the body and take care of it and stuff. But I kind of explained that in my head by saying that, yeah, nobody knew where any of them were because she was there under an assumed name. Mm -hmm. She was there not as who she really was. So they didn't have a way to to get anybody. Yeah. And possibly the only person who knew she was there was her uncle who got killed. It is possible the you know, thing that confuses me about this is that the the police were involved and found her dead in Giles's bed and all. Oh of what, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fact that she was released to Giles to bury is the confusing part to me. <laughs> yeah, that's. I didn't think about that. That's weird. And I had it all explained in my head, Megan. <laughs> Okay, now 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 it doesn't make sense again. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> I was gonna ignore that part, I guess. <laughs> it's okay. The emotional resonance is there. Don't worry about the burial yeah. <laughs> all of all of the bureaucracy that went to that. Well, Just it's kinda like the one with uh, Billy Ford. Yeah. Where they bury him and it's like, why did his parents <laughs> like claim his body? Yeah. In this scene, Giles and Buffy are standing by the grave and 
there is a whole conversation here that's cut out. Okay. He says that this part is in the episode. In my years as a watcher, I've buried too many people. Some I knew, most I didn't. Jenny is the first one that I've loved, which we've talked about how he said that. And that that is actually in the episode, but then the rest of this until the very end is not. Mm-hmm. Buffy replies, sometimes I wonder if any good ever comes of it. Comes of what? Falling in love. Letting your emotions call the shots for you. Because if there is an upside, I sure haven't come across it. You're right about that rule of yours. You're the watcher. I'm the slayer. We don't have the luxury of passion. It just gets in the way and life's easier without it. And then Giles says, yes, it's just not life. And then we have Buffy's comment that is in the episode where she says, I'm sorry I couldn't kill him for you, for her, when I had the chance. Mm Mm-hmm. But and then it goes to the classroom and she says, But I think I'm finally ready. Yeah. Uh but that that whole conversation was cut out and I wish it wasn't because I really like it. Yeah, I like it. It is a bit redundant to some of the stuff that Angel says in his speech. Um, but at the same time And see, I kinda after the first time I, I watched it, I kind of like I listen to it and I know what Angel's saying, but I don't really process it. It's just kind of background yeah. to me. Um, uh, but yeah, it does again do the thing where it talks about passion and being a slave to passion, and it it's nice because I think it's a way of Buffy kind of putting them on the same level again, of being like us, you know, the Slayer and the Watcher. We we have a higher calling, and it's not just about you know. Buffy at this point, it's recognizing that Giles, too, is dealing with the fact that he has to prioritize things differently because Mm -hmm. of his calling. It is a nice moment of putting them on equal footing again, that that despair of love lost and that bonding over that is something that I'm kind of with you. I wish it was there. For me, the line that is the most important and the one that they didn't cut um, is the line where Buffy, again, in true Buffy fashion, internalizes all of these things, but I think that that's what we've been building for, and I think that that's the one redeeming factor of Cain that I mentioned, is that Buffy had an opportunity to kill Angel at the end of Innocence. She had the stake out and was ready to go, and then realized she couldn't, and Angel even points it out to her that you can't do it, and now Buffy's reflecting on that choice of the consequences that come because of that. And, man... Buffy's ability to just have the weight of the world on her shoulder uh, is just, it happens so early and she does it for so long that it's amazing that she didn't snap until the end of season five where she goes full catatonic because holy crap, this is her life. This is what she does all the time. She Mm -hmm. constantly thinks about the people that are dead because of her. Yeah. Because of her. But she saves so big. Yeah. She doesn't have that perspective that you like everybody shouts at her and you know and it's funny because what's interesting is that the people that say that to her say that to her in like the worst ways possible in the worst circumstances possible and it's Faith and Spike. Faith and Spike are the two people that say how many people have you saved? Um, mm-hmm. you know, you have done so much good. You are so much in the positive. That you cannot constantly kill yourself over every mistake that you make because you are so far in the positive. But they're yeah, talking like the about whole world. yeah, they're talking about like terrible, terrible situations that Buffy cannot separate herself from. One is the the weight of 
the Slayer having the power to, you know, kill others and get away with it when Faith's justifying her kill, and then the other is Spike talking to her about her feeling that she's killed Cassandra in that episode in season six. Like, Buffy... Buffy doesn't have that way of looking at things. Buffy doesn't have that way of disassociating herself from the bad around her. She feels responsible for it. No matter how much good she does, it can't counterbalance the bad that exists. And it's it's something that I wish we would have had a little bit more closure on. And I'm going to watch for it this time and see season seven. Mm-hmm. Buffy is very different and I kind of want to watch for it. But Buffy is more willing to accept death as a consequence in season seven with everything going on. Um, yeah. And I, I really want to watch for that arc this time around because here she is so internalizing all of this like this is my fault. And I think it's different in season seven. I think in season seven she's talking about the potentials and how stupid they are because they go and get themselves killed, right? She has that moment where she talks about how stupid they are. And I'm just like, man, I want to watch this arc and pay attention to it on this watch through because I am ready Mm -hmm. for that change and I want to see if I feel like it makes sense in the storyline. Well, then um, after the the cemetery scene, we cut to Miss Callender's classroom and Willow is at the front of the classroom explaining that the principal has asked her to fill in until a new computer science teacher comes and she's just going to use the lesson plan that Miss Calendar left and she sets a bunch of books down on the desk and knocks a very important floppy disk down mm-hmm. between the desk and the filing cabinet and nobody knows it's there. So I have found something called The Passion Monologue. It's on angelfire.com. Um, okay. And it is what's in the actual episode plus some. And I don't know if it's how it's compiled exactly, but I kind of wanted to read it out loud, um, have mm-hmm. a little poetry reading. You know, feel free to snap your fingers at the end. Um, <laughs> and uh, just kind of like have a moment to talk about this speech that he has throughout the episode like you said it's kind of background noise in a lot of ways but it's i think it's very specific to angelus so i'm gonna i want to read through real quick passion it is born and though uninvited unwelcome unwanted like a cancer it takes root it festers it bleeds it scabs only to rupture and bleed anew it grows, it thrives, until it consumes. It lives, so it must die. Hello? It lies in all of us, sleeping, waiting. Jenny? And though unwanted, unbidden, it will stir, open its jaws, and howl. It speaks to us. It's me. Guides us. Some to despair. It drives others to murder and others to madness. Passion rules us all, and we obey. What other choice do we have? Passion is the source of our finest moments, the joy of love, the clarity of hatred, and the ecstasy of grief. It hurts sometimes more than we can bear. Passion is the source of hope and the cause of despair. It is the source of life and the cause of death. 
If we could live without passion, maybe we'd know some kind of peace, but we would be hollow. Empty rooms, shuttered and dank. Without passion, we'd be truly dead. Like, some of it's in the episode and some of it isn't. Um, the one that I really like that's not in the episode is that it speaks to us, guides us, some to despair, it drives others to mur murder, and others to madness. I think that reflects nicely on Drusilla, the others to madness. The, the fact that, like, so much of what's in this is specific to Angel. The joy of love. Whereas it is the true happiness that he shared with Buffy and love that caused him to lose his soul. The clarity of hatred, right? You know, how much Angel hates Buffy for making him feel that love. And then the ecstasy of grief, how much he enjoys making Buffy suffer. Like, all of this seems to directly apply to Angel. But then he talks about it hurts sometimes more than we can bear, Passion is the source of hope and the cause of despair. Passion is the source of life and the cause of death. Those last two lines aren't in the episode, but I really, really love them. Especially coming from Angela saying passion is the source of hope and the cause of despair. It is Jenny's passion that finds that source of hope of giving Angelus the cure. The word he uses, the cure of giving him his soul back. And it is also what leads to that despair when she dies and what Giles is going through in that grieving process. It is, while you're right, kind of background noise because it's so split up and it's so, it seems almost like so self-indulgent, but it's because it's, it's Angelus, right? Angelus is about indulgence. He, he is enjoying this process of manipulating and it shows that he understands passion on a level that I don't think we always attribute to him, like the, the different mm -hmm. layers of it. And he talks about all of these things as if they're all tied together in such a, a brilliant way of passion is love, but it's also hatred. It's also grief. It's also death. It's also hope. It is... Passion is what drives us to do everything and leads us to all emotions. And this coming from a vampire without humanity because the judge couldn't burn him. And I don't buy that. <laughs> yeah, no, he's got to have some. He's got to have some. And I'm saying it right now. Angelus freaking loves Buffy. He loves her so much and he cannot stand it. He hates himself for loving her. That is true. Throwing that out there. Just saying. All right, that's that's all I got. <laughs> that's the end. All right, so we are going to take a break for the holidays. We'll be back on January 5th with Killed by Death. But until then, we wish you all a happy end of 2020. Celebrate that this year is coming to an end and that we made it through and 
lift each other up however you choose to lift each other up because we need it right now. So we'll be back at the beginning of 2021 with more of our antics talking about Buffy and Angel and all of the emotions tied to them because that's apparently where I'm at right now with my life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all them Angel feels I didn't know I had. <laughs> Uh, yes very much (laughs) thank you so much for listening and this is where we say bye bye oh man every year um, we have our elf on the shelf Uh, you're not recording are you <laughs> I am, but it's fine. I can cut it off. Oh, yeah, but I thought you had stopped recording. I did, but stuff. I started again, but it's not going to be a problem. Sorry. <laughs> we are Elf on the Shelf the day after Thanksgiving brings new Christmas books. And I've been trying to find new kids' Christmas books. And like, I keep finding a coronavirus Christmas and Santa wears a mask and <laughs> all these books. And I'm like, Okay, like one or one or two of those might be good to like so help them understand it's going to be different this year. But like that's all I can find. And I'm like, okay, I need some actual Christmas books <laughs> that are not about the virus. Uh, oh, 2020. <laughs> yeah.